Perfect. Fantastic. Standing on God's promises today. Resting in the Lord. That's our theme today. And what I want to share with you today is something of a, of a communion meditation. Something to sort of get us ready for coming to the Lord's table. And you'll see the connection at the end. Um, but today I want us to look together at possibly the best known chapter in the whole Bible. Psalm 23. A personal favorite of mine, probably of yours as well. Uh, so if you'll please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. We are going to look together for a few moments this morning at the 23rd Psalm. It almost feels wrong not to be reading this in the King James Version, but we'll stick with the ESV. This is God's holy word for us as people. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's holy word for us as people. Father, we ask that you would now bless the reading, and now especially we pray, bless the preaching of your word. May I, your humble servant and spokesman today, fade and recede into the background, and may we only see our great Lord who is proclaimed in this word today. May we see you for who you are, may we worship you for all that you are and do for us. Get great glory for your name today. And feed us with your faithful truth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to ask my parents, what is one of the most annoying traits about your son? I can't wiggle out of that one because I don't have a brother, so they know they're talking about me. What's one of the most annoying things about Wesley? They probably would say he procrastinates. He puts things off. Now, I'm not nearly as bad as I used to be, but I had this little catchphrase almost that just drove, especially my mother, crazy. She would say, now, Wesley, you need to... Do this thing that's coming up. You, only, you don't have much time left. And I, and I would always say, plenty of time. I got plenty of time. They got so sick of hearing me say plenty of time. Uh, it, was, it was almost comical. I got plenty of time. I would say it at school. I would say, one time, I was uh, late to class enough times in high school that I was given after school detention. But then I was late to that. 
and they wouldn't let me stay. I said, how is this a punishment? <laughs> if you're late to after school detention, you don't have to stay. Well, then I'm never going to be on time. So that way I don't have to do it. So I, I had that figured out. Plenty of time. Don't worry about it. Uh, now this, I'm not as bad as I used to be, I don't think. Let me check with Sarah and see if I'm as bad as I used to be. Um, but she was aware of this, and so she would often buy me a planner for Christmas uh, because she knew I needed some structure. I need some structure. Some of you know this is still something of a problem for me because um, just a couple of, maybe last, last month, just before Easter, uh, Sarah took a trip back to North Carolina, and I stayed here alone. <laughs> and I told a couple of guys that, it was like the second her car was out of sight, I just, without even having to put in any effort, just went right back into bachelor mode and lost all sense of responsibility, lost all sense of structure, forgot how to feed myself, you name it. And thankfully, some of the people here in the church, once the word got out to enough people, I started getting invitations to lunch and to dinner, and people were bringing me food. It was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Now, I'm, again, I'm not as bad as I used to be, which may be scary how bad I was before. My point is that I need structure. And so I have to work hard. Now I use Google Calendar. I have to work hard about structuring my day, making sure I know what's going on, so that I stay on track and stay on task. Structure is important for me, and I imagine lots of us are the same way. Structure is what helps us stay on track, stay on task, and stay on time. And without structure, we would ruin our lives. When Sarah goes away for a week, I have no accountability. Sometimes structure might collapse. I don't go to bed very early. Terrible choices are possible, much more likely. Structure is essential to our lives. Psalm 23 is all about the spiritual structure that we need in our Christian lives. Psalm 23, like all the Psalms, is a poem. And sometimes those poems are sung uh, like, a, like a song. And so sometimes these are song lyrics. Sometimes they're just poetic lyrics. Psalm 23 is a poem. And in the poem, it's about a pilgrimage. It's about a journey. It's a journey that begins with God out on the hillside and it ends in the Lord's house. The beginning of the psalm, we're out in the sunshine on the hillside and by the end, we're in the Lord's house. And that journey is done. We go through that journey with confidence. This is also not just a pilgrimage Psalm. It's a psalm of extreme, of exceeding confidence. People turn to this psalm because it, it inspires that courage we need to keep going, to take the next step, to not give up, to not give in. God is with us. It's a psalm about a pilgrimage and about a confident journey. Now, lurking Behind the scenes in this psalm of confidence, in this journey, is threat, terror, danger, enemies. When I was in seminary, we had to go to preaching 
uh, a preaching lab, they called it. So we had to give like five minute, 10 minute, 20 minute little snippets of sermons so they could, we could evaluate each other and, and get feedback from the professor. And I, and I, and I did a snippet of this and I'm, and, and he, and I mentioned this point that there, there are all these threats and dangers that are lurking in this psalm. And the professor said, no, 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 you, you've missed the point. Wesley, it's actually, he says, I fear no evil. There's, there's nothing to fear in this psalm. And, and, and I don't make it a point to like disagree <laughs> with the professor out loud in front of everybody else. But I said, I don't think that's right. I mean, it, say, it doesn't say there's no evil. It says that I'm going through a dark valley and there are lots of things to be afraid of, but I'm not afraid of them. Why? The psalm is all about why you don't have to fear in the face of threat and danger. It's not saying, oh, there's nothing to, nothing to fear, no danger here, it's just all in your head. No, there's real threat in life, in the Christian life, in the world. But we as Christians do not have to be afraid. This is a psalm that teaches us to be confident in the face of fearful odds and circumstances. Now the question is, what gives the psalmist such extraordinary confidence in the journey? And the answer is, it's the structure that God provides to keep us on track, and on task so that we can arrive safely in His good timing. What does God use in Psalm 23 to give us the structure that our spiritual lives need? The answer is, He gives us His presence. God's presence structures our journey with Him. And the psalm does this in a really interesting way. Maybe you've never caught this before. Psalm 23 has three scenes. And in each scene, where God is changes based on where we are in the journey. God's location changes throughout this psalm. Psalm 23 lays out a threefold structure, these three scenes, a threefold structure of God's presence in our lives. As the psalm progresses at the beginning from the green pastures to the end in the Lord's house, you can see this movement of the journey as the Lord takes up three different positions around the psalmist, David. And the way you can see this is following how the pronouns change. Watch this. Here in verses 1 through 3, that's the first scene, he speaks about God in the third person. He calls God He. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and then He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He, 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 He leads me on paths of righteousness. So the, the picture is God is out in front leading and guiding. And He's being addressed in the third person. The sheep are behind Him. He's out in front. He is leading us. Scene 2, verses 4 and 5. The psalmist goes from talking about God in the third person to talking directly to God in the second person. Because now, God's no longer out there in front. Now he's with the psalmist. Now he's right alongside him. Look at verses 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Not he's with me. You are with me. You get this picture of he's not just out in front anymore. Now he's right there. 
God is directly there leading the psalmist right alongside, walking with the psalmist right alongside. And then at the last scene, scene three is in verse six. Now all of a sudden, the psalmist is back to talking about God in the third, fir- in the third person. But now God's not out in front leading anymore. Now God is behind the psalmist, following him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you see that movement? Do you see the structure? As the journey progresses, as we move along, God is all around us. He is before. He is beside. He is behind. And at each stage of our walk with Him, He takes up a different position around us to give us the spiritual structure that His presence provides in our journey with Him. He gives us His presence to structure our journey at every stage and at every turn. This is why David had such confidence. This is why you and I can have such confidence. God is before us. He is beside us. And He is behind us. He has us surrounded with His presence. And this is glorious good news. So what I want us to do is to, is to note a few things that we can learn from each of these scenes. So in these scenes, because it's a poem, there are different parts to it. There's three parts to each of these scenes. First, there's an image. The poem starts with an image. And then it uses that image to make a metaphor. So first there's the image. Then there's the metaphor that image depicts and then there's what does that mean so there's image there's metaphor then there's the meaning of the metaphor and so i just want to highlight what each of those are as we go through these scenes so scene one verses one through three what's the image the image is the lord as a shepherd and the psalmist as a sheep this won't be a main point of the sermon but just keep in mind This psalm is often read extremely personally because David was a shepherd. David knows all about how shepherds are with their sheep. But there's no such thing as a shepherd who has one sheep. Shepherds have flocks. So even though this is extremely personal and applies to each one of us, keep in mind that you're not in the flock alone, that this is something that all of us enjoy together We all are the one flock with one good shepherd, the Lord. So this is the image. The Lord is a shepherd. As he says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's the image. The psalmist is like a sheep. The Lord is like a shepherd. And this image of the shepherd with his sheep represents God's commitment, his provision, his guidance of the psalmist as he meets all of the psalmist's needs. What's the metaphor? The metaphor is a day in the life of a sheep with the shepherd. A day in the life of a sheep with his shepherd. So how does this unfold? It starts off in the morning. Early in the morning, in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So they're not in, they're, they start out in the sheepfold in the, in the early morning. 
And the shepherd leads the sheep out of the sheepfold, and we go off into the hills. And now they're on the hillside in the morning, grazing. Next, it moves on into the afternoon when the sun is in the top of the sky. And we're not talking about like a, a pasture in Pennsylvania or a pasture in you know, England somewhere. We're talking about in the Middle East, scorching hot. Blazing hot. Sun is in the top of the sky. It's been beating down on these sheep all morning for hours. They're tired. They're thirsty. So in the afternoon, they move on and they cool off by restful waters. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters. And then, as they cool off in the shade of these restful watering holes... Then it's time to get up, do some more grazing, and then at the end of the day, it's time to go home. And that's the last part of this metaphor in in scene 1, verses 1 through 3. The shepherd, he rounds up his sheep, he retrieves them, gathers them up, and he herds them along. He herds them down the path as they begin their journey home, back to the sheepfold. So there's the image, there's the metaphor. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means God provides for our bodily needs and He provides spiritual direction. God takes care of our bodily needs as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God supplies all of our needs, all of our wants. That's what it means by I shall not want because God is a provider. He supplies us with what we need. He feeds us. He clothes us. He cares for us. He leads us. He is our shepherd. He provides. He takes care of us. One of my complaints about virtually every modern translation, or pretty much every translation period of Psalm 23, is that they don't like to maintain the poetry throughout the psalm. What they do is they will drop the metaphor and just translate what the metaphor means. Instead of keeping that image, they'll just tell you what the image means. And that's what has done, what's happened in Psalm 23. The, the image was going fine. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This obviously is a picture. It's obviously a metaphor. But then, all of a sudden, he restores my soul. It's like, where did the sheep shepherd metaphor go? Because a shepherd never restores the soul of the sheep, whatever that would mean. Like, that's what it means for us. He restores our souls. Yeah, but what does he do? What does a shepherd do for a sheep that could have that meaning? That's the question. So I prefer, and this is, this is how you, I think you should translate this. Again, he restores my soul is the correct meaning. But if you wanted to keep the metaphor, what would it, how would you translate it? You would say something like this. Instead of, he restores my soul, you would say, he retrieves me. He brings me back. He rounds me up. That's the image. It's the, the image, the metaphor here is of a straying sheep. Once the shepherd has the sheep out in the field, some of them wander off. And a sheep who wanders away is in great danger. This is why we have parables from Jesus about leaving the 99 and going to find the one. Because the one is in great 
danger away from the flock. Many enemies abound. The chance to be destroyed is incredibly heightened for a sheep all by himself. So what is this saying? He doesn't just provide for my needs. He doesn't just keep me fed and clothed and taken care of. But he also goes and gets me when I stray. He retrieves me when I wander away. When I stray from him, he does not abandon me. He finds me. He tracks me down. He brings me back. He gathers me back in. And then the second part of this, he leads me in paths of righteousness. That's what the metaphor means. But if you wanted to keep the metaphor, the imagery, how would you translate that? You would say, he leads me on the right path. We are, he leads me to trek down the right track. There is a road that the sheep have to take to get home. And the shepherd knows which way they got to go. And he leads me down the safe way home. He takes me down the right path. And for us, that means he guides us in the narrow way. He shows us the path of obedience. How should we go? What road should we take? The broad way that leads to destruction? No, the path that leads to life. He knows the way and he will lead us if we will but follow. And the last part of scene one, it says that he does this for his namesake. For his namesake. I would paraphrase that if I were translating this. I would say, because that's who he is. He does it because of his name. And that's also true. He does it for his glory. Absolutely. But he doesn't just do it for his glory. He doesn't just lead us for his glory. That's true, he does. But he also does it because that's the kind of God he is. This is the kind of shepherd we have. This is the good shepherd who will not abandon the sheep, who will bring us back, who will provide, who will protect, who will direct us, who brings us back when we stray because of his character, because of who he is. That's the kind of shepherd he is. He does it on account of his name. That's scene one. Then, once we finish feeding out on the hillside and resting by the watering hole, and those of us who have wandered off, he rounds us back up. He bandages up our wounds. Gets us on the road. Line up. It's time to go home. That's scene two in verses four and five. The trip back to the house, back to the sheepfold. In scene one, God is before us, leading us on our way. In scene two, he has to come alongside of us because this is not an easy, safe trip home. It is full of danger, full of terrors. What's the image? The image is the return trip back to the sheepfold in the evening. As the sun begins to set, twilight begins to spread across the land. There in the Middle East, don't just think it's all flat with just nice and then some nice hills. No, 
It's all sorts of rocky areas, mountains that they have to journey through. And as the sun is beginning to set, the light can't get down into those valleys like it could when the sun was at the top of the sky. As it's approaching the horizon, the shadows fall and they fall first in that valley. And that's where the sheep have to go, through the valley of the shadow. And now, terror surrounds. Wolves and bandits could lurk in these shadows that mean great harm to the shepherd and to his sheep. What's the metaphor? That's the image. What's the metaphor? The metaphor is the shepherd has to protect his sheep if he wants to get them home. The shepherd has to protect his sheep if he wants to take them home. And here we run into another translation issue. Again, the translation is not inaccurate. It's perfectly accurate. It just doesn't bring out the imagery the way I wish it would. Verse 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5 is seen too. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You could translate that, even though I trek through the treacherous valley, even when I pass through the veil of darkness, I fear no evil. The picture is of this dark ravine that you're passing through. And as we enter into the shadows, you can't quite see what's around you the way you could before. Sheep are fearful. They need the shepherd to come alongside. It says, I will fear no evil. The word in Hebrew just means danger. There is danger to fear in life. But I will not be afraid of the danger. I will not fear the evil. Why? Because you are with me in verse 4. You are with me. You are beside me. You walk along with me. You can see him walking up and down the line of the sheep with his rod and his staff. And he nudges them along. And they start to go this way. And with the hook on the staff, he pulls them back in line. And he keeps them together. Keep going. Move along. Keep going down the road. I know the path of righteousness. I know the right path. Stay on the road. Stay close to me. Let's go. And he uses his rod and his staff to push them along. And it says his rod and his staff comfort. They comfort me because he's got me. He's got me. And if I start to slip off the side this way or that way, he's going to pull me back from the brink. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they are a comfort to me. They give me confidence. The confident journey. Where does our confidence come from? It comes from the protection of our shepherd. So that's the image. That's the metaphor. But then all of a sudden in scene 2, verse 5, the image flips. We have an image change. Now all of a sudden, in verse 5, the sheep have made it back to the sheepfold. They've made it home. Except now in verse 5, once they get home, 
the man behind the metaphor steps out. And now the psalmist isn't a sheep anymore. Now the psalmist is a guest at a banquet in the shepherd's tent. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, it would be really strange if the shepherd said, come on in sheep, and they pulled up a chair, and the, and the sheep are around the table with the shepherd. That would be really strange. No, the image has changed. Now, the psalmist is a person at the table, invited in to the feast. God becomes now not just a shepherd with his sheep. Now God, in verse 5, is a host at a banquet. What's this metaphor? The metaphor is, when the shepherd gets home for dinner, he invites the psalmist in as his honored guest to shelter him from his enemies. All those enemies that were there in the valley cannot get to you now because you're in the shepherd's tent You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They cannot get to you. All they can do is look on and hate that they missed their chance. They cannot get to you. They cannot touch you. You have been invited to this feast with God as the host. The enemies can only look on in disappointment. It says in verse 5 that, He doesn't just prepare a table. He anoints my head with oil. Now, in the ancient world, when you were a guest at a banquet, you were supposed to make certain gestures of hospitality to your guests, or you were considered to dishonor them. You will bring great shame on them and upon yourself. And in a culture that ran on honor and shame, this is a very big deal. We run our culture more on sort of abstract principles of right and wrong. They ran their culture on the basis of a very concrete set of ideas that meant honor and shame. You need to be seen to give honor, and if you're seen to bring shame on someone, that is a great wickedness. Jesus, in one of his parables, or not one of his parables, in one, of his, uh, in one scene where he's invited to be the guest at a, at a feast at the house of a Pharisee, Jesus rebukes the Pharisee at the end of the meal because he says, I was your guest and you didn't offer me any water to wash my feet. You did not give me the appropriate greeting. You did not anoint me with oil when I came in. You have dishonored me and brought great shame upon you. We are his, we are God's honored guest. That's what he's saying. He anoints our head with oil. He honors us at his table. And then it says, my cup overflows. Think of a cup. Think of the host. Or I think of, <laughs> I think of the time that me and my best friend went to, um, went to Olive Garden back home. And you know how when they're like, would you like cheese on that? Just tell me when. You know the anxiety that can be created if you just wait and wait and wait and wait? And he did this. He sat there with this goofy look on his face like this. And she's like, you can see sweat is forming. She's just like, please say when. 
<laughs> it was so tense. And then, and then finally, he looked at her while she's still cranking. There's cheese everywhere. And he goes, I like cheese. <laughs> that story was not in my notes. It just came to me. Just, I'm just imagining the, the, the God as the host at this banquet, and he's pouring wine in the cup, and he's like, tell me when, and it's overflowing, and he's just pouring and pouring, and there's wines going everywhere, and he's like, pour it on, God. <laughs> My cup is overflowing. I am brimming with blessing. The blessing just won't stop coming. I am his guest. He has honored me as his guest. He feeds me this sumptuous fare. And he has a never-ending cup of blessing for me. That's what waits for the sheep at the end of the journey. When they get home, it's time to feast. That's the metaphor what does it mean for us? Life is full of hardship. Life is full of adversity, pain, trouble, danger, and suffering. But God is with us. And when you're going through that valley and you feel like your foot is about to slide, like the whole ground beneath your feet might just give way, He's got you. With His rod, He will snatch you back from the brink. And with His, his rod and His staff, He will nudge you along when you feel like, God, I cannot take one more step in this life. What I'm going through is too much. It's too dark. It's too much danger. I can't see where I'm going. And He is there to push us along gently. And the great hope we have is that one day, 2,000 years ago, the shepherd stepped down and became a sheep like us. He walked through that valley just like we walk through it. And he looked death itself in the face and said, Do your worst. Give it everything you've got. He knows the right way home because he walked it himself. He knows where the dangers are. He has been tempted and tried and tested in every way like you are. And he never flinched. Push all you want, evil, devil, world, Push all you want, I'm not moving an inch. And he kept moving forward. He walked that path that he asks us to walk. He does not ask us to walk a path he himself was not willing to walk. But he asks us to follow him where he himself has been. And he took on the forces of darkness, vanquished and conquered. And he calls us to trust him as we walk that same path. He will defend us. He will support us. He will shelter and protect us. Because he knows the feast is waiting at the end. He knows that a table is set for you, Christian. And he knows that there is oil 
to anoint your head when you arrive, to welcome and honor you. He knows there's a seat at his table. He knows there is an overflowing cup. And he says, if you will just trust me, dear one, oh, my sweet brother, my precious sister, if you will but trust me and keep going, just over that hill, there is green pastures that never fade and there is a bright and sunny day that never sets. And there is glory and there is eternal joy beside the waters of rest waiting for you. And when you face that ultimate last dark valley, death itself, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, those who believe in me, death will never touch them. They'll never even see it. Your last moment here is your first in glory. In a land of unspeakable joy where you will be welcomed in to a feast that will satisfy you forever. And a cup that never runs dry. Hold on. Keep going. Home is just over this next hill. That's what the shepherd does. And we need him right here beside us to take that next step. To take those final steps home. He's with us and he will not let us go. End of scene two. Scene three. God is before us. God is beside us. And now finally, God is behind us in verse six. Our enemies cannot destroy us. They cannot overtake us if God is with us. If his presence structures our life's journey. This is where our confidence comes from. He is before us. He is beside us. And finally, he is behind us. Verse 6. He says, surely goodness and mercy. The goodness and mercy of God. His loving kindness. His steadfast love. His eternal commitment to you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. God is behind us with his goodness and mercy. Following us. This word follow is very interesting in Hebrew. This word follow doesn't just mean that I'm walking and he's just walking behind me. Just sort of innocuously. Just a generic follow. No. This word is used all over the place in the Old Testament for what an army does to their enemies. It doesn't just mean walk along behind. It means to pursue. It means to chase down. It means to hunt. But notice this irony, this amazing irony. It's not the enemies who pursue us in scene three. It's not your enemy who's after you in scene three. It's God who's after you with his goodness and his mercy. And it is his objective to catch up with you and to overtake you, to track you down and overwhelm you. Not with wrath and condemnation and destruction, but with his goodness and with his eternal love and mercy. God seeks to drive us forward to our heavenly home 
with his covenant love. And that is why we are bold and confident to say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He welcomes us in. He drives us on. And when we reach that house of the Lord, we are there forever. Forever and ever to dwell with Him. And that's why the psalmist can say, this is why David can say in Psalm 27, verses 3 and 4, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war against me, the war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That's the desire of David's heart. That should be our firm and earnest desire that we would keep going and make it to the end so that we too can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our inheritance. That is promised to you. It's yours for the taking, Christian. Keep going. Take that next step. Trust the shepherd. He is out in front leading you on down the path you should go. He is next to you in your deepest, darkest moments of trial. And he is behind you with his goodness and mercy, just pursuing and pursuing you to give you the blessing and the eternal inheritance that you might be with him in his house to see his glory and to be satisfied in him forever. This gives us unspeakable and unshakable confidence as we walk with him. Let's pray. Father, we give you such thanks and praise for your word. We thank you that you have us surrounded. You are before and behind and beside. You are with us. You are for us. You have promised us unimaginable blessing, unspeakable glory lies out in front of us. Would you give us a glimpse of that glory and give us confidence to walk with you and to trust in you, to be for us and to do for us all that we need to take care of us, to shepherd us with your faithfulness. You are the good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep, And who rose again to take us where we ourselves could never go on our own. Lead on, O good shepherd. We will walk confidently with you because you walk faithfully with us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.